Welcome to Book Tour. Two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. This episode is a bit of a treat because it's been a while. I guess it hasn't been that long since we've done a Josh Mallerman book. Um, but we are reviewing Unbury Carol by Josh Mallerman. Um, and unless Livia has anything witty to say, I'm, <laughs> I'm diving right into I the have, bio. I have important things to say. First of all, I want to commend us because I want listeners to know. Uh, well, first, uh, first, let me say this, and then I'll explain. I'll explain why we are a hardworking duo when it comes to this podcast, and here's why: we know nobody's going to hear this podcast for well over a week. Yeah, yep. And yet, here we go. We we uh, we pushed our, our <laughs> you know whatever like our recording day by like a day when we realized that we didn't have to rush to get through this book to get it out in a timely fashion. Um, we had a little bit of a mishap, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let Rob explain because he handles the the behind the scenes stuff, kind of what happened. Yeah, so we we mentioned a little bit in previous episodes that um, for the sake of not having a website that's hacked and for saving lots of money on our monthly expenses, we moved to Podbean, and that move uh, that transition was pretty flawless um, until. I tried to upload the audio for the episode for the previous episode, um, our review of Christopher Moore's Noir, and at the time of this recording, you may not have heard that yet because um, I received a message from Podbean saying, "Hey, turns out you can't upload 400 episodes in one month." <laughs> um, so we're uh <laughs> i mean that's essentially that's the gist of it um because that's what we did we transferred our entire feed to this website on in one day and we've been doing this for seven so seven years of podcasting transferred to podbean in one day and they let me slip another episode in after that but this episode the the christopher moore noir they were like hey slow down buddy we're gonna we're throttling you and you're not going to be able to upload audio until the end of the month, which um, it's it's April 24th, so you got about a week. So we've recorded one episode. We're recording another one. Um, so by the time the next episode is probably recorded, you're going to get, like, the hose is kinked right now. Mm-hmm. And it unkinks on May 1st, and you're just going to get blasted with uh, episodes. With the sweet sounds of our voices yeah. in your ears. So um, I thought that was worth mentioning uh, in case anybody was concerned or if they missed a review of, of Noir. Because if they're just looking at the most recent one, they may not realize that another one has has populated. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this week's all about Josh Mallerman and Unbury Carroll. I want to start before you even read the synopsis or the, the author bio and say... This is one of my favorite titles yeah, for a book in a really long time. And I don't know what it is about it, but I think it's just perfect. I mean, you can tell, like, if, so what you could do, like, if you were focus grouping or you were just hanging out, having, like, an insightful conversation about something, if you gave someone the, the title Unbury Carol and asked them to predict what the story was about, you would get so much information. Yes. That being said, we're going to address that as part of our review. So just like we talk about synopses, how truthful is this title? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, we'll get <laughs> we'll be getting into that. Um, uh, so here I'm just going to throw down this is the bio from the, the, the jacket. So, all right, I'm going to do a little bit of a pause before we get to the author bio, 
to acknowledge that I read a print copy. And uh, I, I'm more prone to reading print copies than Livius is. He, he definitely prefers the digital medium. Um, and typically we get print copies when a publisher sends them to us for free as a review copy uh, in, in advance of the release of a book. Um, if, if, a, if it sounds like I'm belaboring a point, <laughs> it is to emphasize the fact that we tried several times to get digital review copies of this book to no avail. Um, and even to the point where Josh had posted, and this is absolutely nothing against Josh because I love him and he, he does great by the people who support him and probably even the people who don't. He's a great person. He posted on Facebook in January, hey guys, reviews, review copies are available on NetGalley. Go, go request them. I was like, hey, that's what I'm going to do right now because Josh said it's cool. I go and I, I request a review copy. Never gets never gets approved. Don't get the review copy. I then send an email to the representatives of William Morrow. Right? It's William Morrow. Yeah. No. Yeah. Delray. Del, Delray. Yeah. Penguin. Delray. They're all old. And um, say, hey, this is what's going on. Can you just approve this or tell me who I need to talk to? No response. And eventually, a NetGalley um, review copies expire for this book. So we're left high and dry without review copies. I'm not even asking for a print copy. You don't have to spend any postage. You just have to click a button that says, hey, go ahead and read this digital copy. Didn't happen. Happy to, and I would have anyway. Um, I went out and bought the print copy, Barnes & Noble. I had to shake down this old woman. I felt kind of bad. I was on my lunch break. And uh, I walked over to the Barnes & Noble. And I looked at the the new release kind of table, which later on I discovered when she talked about it, that it's called the Octagon. Did you know that? No. Yeah. That sounds like somewhere booksellers go to fight. Yeah, to, to fight uh, each to the other. Death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm like, hey, I'm looking for this book. I know it released today. Um, online, it says you have copies in the store. And I tell her the, the title of it. I don't tell her the author. I just want her to live with the fact that I'm looking for a book called Unburied Carol. And uh, so she looks it up and she's like, oh, let, let me go look if it's on the Octagon. <laughs> and I already had looked at the Octagon. I didn't know that was what it was called. And I knew it wasn't there, um, but it was apparently supposed to be. So you're welcome, Josh. I got you on the Octagon. So what uh, you're saying is not only did we fork out hard-earned money for these books, <laughs> but you have now put placed that book in a higher uh, visibility area in an Octagon. In the octagon, and noble. Yeah. I'd like Del Rey to just send us a check for like, thirty bucks, right? Yeah. Thirty bucks would do it. <laughs> I think that's the appropriate. Yeah. Um, so they had copies. She went in the back. She pulled all of the copies that they had out, handed me one of them, and then immediately situated the rest on the octagon, which is like the prime selling space for the store. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's my. I don't even know where we were going with this, but uh, I have no idea. No, but anyway, didn't get a review copy for this, comma, helped the store better promote Josh Mallerman anyway. Um, so, again, I will never point any finger at Josh because I love the guy, but Delray needs to get their shit together. When I think about all the review copies that show up via, <laughs> via like, two-day UPS... Yeah. That I, I just wind up like gift people come over the house and, and they they just look at the books and be like you want that book take that book take that book 
That's like the third book in a science fiction series I've never heard of. But they spent money to UPS second day it to me. Yeah. And then we beg. We beg Del Rey, essentially. You essentially beg Del Rey. Yeah. And I got to tell you, we have never requested a review copy of something we didn't review. Do you know that? Did you know that statistic? Yeah, we're, yeah, batting a thousand. I don't even know. I'm trying to. We don't request very often. When we do, we definitely know it's something we're going right. to review. So yeah. anyway, let's try and not let any of the things we just said count against this book. Let's yeah. just try. It's not going to color our review in any way. No promises. <clears throat> not going to color my review. I was going right. to buy this book no matter what. <laughs> uh, here is, for people who haven't listened to other episodes where we've talked about Josh Mallerman or talked to Josh Mallerman, uh, the bio from the book jacket, from the physical copy that I purchased, Josh Mallerman is an internationally best-selling Bram Stoker. Bram? You always say Bram. I say Bram. It's probably Bram. Yeah. Bram Stoker Award nominated American author and the lead singer for the rock band The High Strung. Mallerman first started writing in the fifth grade with stories of a space-traveling dog. Since then, he has written several unpublished novels, and his debut novel, Bird Box, was published in the United States and the United Kingdom to much critical acclaim. It's interesting because that's not. That's um, not what you were looking for? That's not what's in the ebook. But it doesn't matter. It's similar. It's kind of moved around. And this one doesn't mention space dogs. And, and I will I will make this differentiation. Can you reread the part about him being in the high strung? Lead singer for the rock band, the high strung. Okay. And this one, it says, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. American author and one of two singer songwriters for the rock band, the high strung. So when he went to the print copy, the one that's in the octagon, he, yeah. he dropped that other motherfucker, whoever that guy is. That, wow. other pig, that pig shitter. From the that band, pig shitter from yeah, the band, yeah. yeah so, yeah. Um, pig shitter is from the book, and it's <laughs> it's used a lot as a reference to like uh, you know kind of like that asshole yeah. sort of right. So pig shitter, um, you may be hearing more of that uh, as this review um, progresses. Here is the synopsis. Um, this one's from Amazon.com. Carol Evers is a woman with a dark secret. She has died many times, but her many deaths are not final. They are comas, a waking slumber indistinguishable from death, each lasting days. Only two people know of Carol's eerie condition. One is her husband, Dwight, who married Carol for her fortune, and, when she lapses into another coma, plots to seize it by proclaiming her dead and quickly burying her alive. The other is her lost love, the infamous outlaw James Moxie. When word of Carol's dreadful fate reaches him, Moxie rides the trail again to save his beloved from an early unnatural grave. And all the while, awake and aware, Carol fights to free herself from the crippling darkness that binds her, summoning her own fierce will to survive. As the players in this drama of life and death fight to decide her fate, Carol must in the end battle to save herself. Yeah, buddy. I think that that's a that's a pretty good synopsis. It's pretty good. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest. <laughs> I actually stepped away from my desk okay. while you were reading the synopsis because it occurred to me, and this is gonna completely derail the conversation. Um, I received in the mail a review copy of a book just today. Okay. And I wanted to. I opened it up. I wanted to see the types of things. And this is Random House, so this is different than. No, Penguin right. owns Random House. Penguin owns everybody. And don't they own Del Rey as well? Maybe. I feel like it's the same company. I could be wrong. People can, you know, all the the execs at uh, Penguin 
and Random House can um, correct me on that. But here's what we got. The author is Stacy McAnulty. McAnulty? Okay. McAnulty? Okay, this is getting better by the moment. M-C-A-N-U-L-T-Y. Yeah, I don't know what that is. McAnulty? Anyway. Uh, It's called The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl. And the uh, subtitle is, If you can survive a bolt of lightning, you can survive middle school. Right? I think you see where we this received, is going. We actually received an email saying that we were going to be getting that that book. And <laughs> I don't even know if you want a synopsis, but so this one showed up unsolicited, just ready to rock. Um, hardcover, you know, review copy. Didn't ask for it. Got it anyway. Yeah, that's where that's where that's where we're at anyway. Anybody who wants the the miscalculations of Lightning Girl, email us. I'll be happy to send that out to you. <sighs> yeah. So the book, Unbury Carol. Back to that because we'll get we'll get going on this. <laughs> Rob's been drinking the barley wines tonight, so he's a little bit goofy. Um, but we're gonna try and stay on track. Um, starts at a funeral. I want to say that right now. Unbury Carol starts at a funeral, but the trick is it's not Carol's funeral. Starts at the funeral funeral of her friend. Oh, what's her friend's name? John, John Bowie. John Bowie. And um, it, it's basically like this. So the first chapter is basically they're at the funeral and she's, you know, mourning her friend. And it establishes very early on that Carol is married to a guy named Dwight Evers. And um, at the funeral, it's pretty obvious that Dwight, not super fond of... of the dead friend and not not much of a sympathetic husband, and that's where we discover that you know kind of Carol's uh, condition, the comas, and that um, you know it kind of leads us toward the conversation of like who knows about the comas and stuff like that. So it's a funeral that sets us up with kind of how the relationship between Carol and her husband is, and pushes us into the conversation about Carol's condition where she has these comas and stuff. The funeral's kind of key to this because John Bowie is the only other person that knew about her condition. He is uh, her Carol's best friend. Um, he is uh, he's uh, gay and therefore not a threat to Dwight. Dwight doesn't care if they hang out. And um, John's friendship um, and his thoughts and, and things they tried to, um, you know, work on her coma thing, you know, come up throughout the book. So although we never see the character other than dead and in a box, his words and his memory um, recur through through the entirety of the book. So even though he's not a an actual character in the book, that makes sense. Like we don't right. actually see them interact when he's alive. Um, his memory is, is super important. Um, so, yeah, that's the catalyst. The final person other than than her husband who knows that that she has these comas is gone. So Dwight has been, um, you know, I don't know. I got the feeling that that like this was in the back of his mind. Um, but as long as as um, as uh, Bowie was around, this wasn't going to happen. So they had no reason to believe this guy was going to die anytime soon. So this plan um, hatches, where he partners with a with a woman, uh, Lafayette, who's kind of the the woman in town that if you need something bad done, like she's the person that can help you do that. 
um, through her contacts and stuff, uh, hatch this plan that um, when uh, the next time this happens to Carol, they're going to proceed very, very quickly to funeral status. Yeah, so chronologically at the beginning of the book, um, kind of the next step is post-funeral, Carol's talking to Dwight, and they're having the conversation of um, it's dangerous for only one person to know about her condition, so she needs to tell someone else, and the person that they thought would be a good person to take into confidence would be uh, Farah Darrow, who is the maid of the family, and they're having a discussion about it, and he's... Uh, I think to keep up appearances, talking about how it's nice for other people to know, just in case, I believe that's how it is. And she's just kind of like, yes, you know, they're agreeing that she needs to tell Farah, but she's just kind of putting it off, I think, more because um, from her past, she's had people who responded poorly to it, and she doesn't want to go through um, the emotional process of, like, you know, someone freaking out. And so she's just kind of putting it off and putting it off, but... um, shortly after, very beginning, very early in the book, is having kind of a personal conversation with Farah not long after the funeral, and as she is preparing to tell Farah about this condition and what it means and, and, you know, get someone else, you know, familiar with her situation just in case something bad happens, she is hit with another kind of wave, and she experiences um, kind of warning signs that it is about to happen. And so as she starts to feel these warning signs, um, she's trying to get the information to Farah, but doesn't in time and lapses into one of her comas before she's able to tell anybody besides her husband, what her condition is. All right. At this point, I think it's just probably the easiest way to do this, to lay out the rest of Carol's story as far as we're willing to go. So uh, she is set to be buried in two days. The plan is sprung in action. Dwight and Lafayette are working um, hard on uh, keeping her non-death a secret. Um, and Carol uh, exists in a place that she calls Howelltown, which is, uh, it, it's not just that because it's a coma and she, you know, can't move or whatever, but she can hear everything that's going on around her. And through the course of her life, She's tried a variety of tactics to combat um, being in Howelltown to try to come awake. None of them have worked, but it's never been as pressing as it is now. So that's kind of where uh, where Carol is throughout the course of this story, fighting her own kind of personal uh, hell. On the flip side, we have, as mentioned in the uh, synopsis, uh, James Moxie, who was her like, I don't say teenage, but very young love. And he left Carol because he couldn't deal with uh, with this condition that she had. And not necessarily with the condition, but like with, with you know, someone he loves going through this. So he distanced himself and, uh, you know, through through the course of things, um, became an outlaw that lives on the trail. And I think we're going to talk a lot more about the trail. But um, Farah gets a telegram out to him saying she just wants him to know that that Carol has died. And Moxie immediately responds with a telegram saying, she's not dead, don't bury her. And he's going to make his way across many, many towns um, using the trail to get there before they put his uh, his young love in the ground. So what we've told so far probably uh, encapsulates, I would say, the first, it's really that's the first act of the book is mm-hmm. um, 
what gets Carol to her comatose state, who knows about it, who the players are, and and who's about to react to it. Um, that's probably the first third of the book, and it and it goes a little slow because there's a lot of there's world building. I mean, uh, this is a it's definitely a western. Um, it's definitely got like a cowboy feel to it, but it is definitely not, as far as I'm aware, Earth necessarily. Like it's its own little world. Would you agree? Yeah, it's that or some type of alternate history yeah. or on a really, really weird turn way into the future. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, and there's some is there's some indicators. I don't know what you want to talk about. But uh, pretty early on in the book, they address that the president is a, is a woman. Yeah. So um, that has not actually happened, at least not here in the United States. Um, so we know that it's either alternate um you know, universe or completely fictional or like Rob said, it could even just be another planet for all we know. Um, but everything else is laid out and, and is, um, you know, apart from the kind of like weird supernatural stuff is, you know, the names are all names we're familiar with and, you know, the animals are horses and birds and, you know, I mean, there's nothing else to yeah. indicate that it's, you know, science fictiony or, you know, anything like that. Right. And so I think that would qualify it. I was thinking about this and you'd probably agree with me. I think this qualifies as a weird Western um, for the sake that it does have an occasional like supernatural plot. And it doesn't it's not necessarily soundly grounded in like what would be historical Western or like at least, you know, our regular terrestrial world. Um, So I think this would definitely qualify as a weird Western. For sure. And um What's weird about it is that you would think that in um, a book about a woman who falls into these comas, that would be like the weirdest thing. <laughs> definitely not. But, but it's not. There are definitely some other supernatural elements at uh, at play here. Um, one of them being a character, um, which is really like an entity that identifies itself as Rot, R-O-T. And uh, Rot, through the course of the story nudges things in you know certain directions and helps people out um that essentially helps um carol's demise so rod is definitely forgetting carol evers into the ground and dead and he does this both by um you know helping uh you know somebody who's who's on the path to doing that um and trying to dissuade people who might be trying to stop rot from doing that particular thing yeah, and so Rot's and Rot's an interesting character. Um, and I guess I'm assuming we're going to do some spoiler talk on this book, where we probably expand on on our conversation on Rot. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the sake of the the reader that might not want this spoiled, um, Rot's interesting because as, as you read more about the character, it's it's just this. Um, it seems like it's the embodiment of rot like decay like things falling apart like the i guess you know entropy of you know biological matter or whatever like it is like the supernatural embodiment of of things dying and rotting and going away and um for i would say most of the book you really don't understand exactly what its stake in this whole thing is so it's interesting when you discover the motivation of rot, but it, it, for the for the majority of the book you're reading, you're like, there is this weird supernatural element that's influencing um, 
the current story, but also going all the way back to like, you know, decades in the past uh, of, of Carol's life. And you're, you're not really sure what the motivation is. You just know that there's this evil entity that has it out for Carol and you're trying to figure out why. It reminded, Rot reminded me, I should say, of, um, oh, no, I'm forgetting the name of it, in the in the Wendig, in the Mirror and Black books. Oh, yeah, the um, Traveler, the... Passenger? Uh, no. Passenger? No. I, I always call. I read right, all yeah. those Dexter books, and there's a yeah. Dark Traveler. The Dark I don't Passenger, know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think it, yeah, whatever yeah. the, I know what you're talking about. But kind of the same thing, you're not sure what the motivation is, and, and, and it doesn't act on... Um, it doesn't act directly. It always acts indirectly. It influences. Yeah. So that that's kind of the, the same feels. For anybody who's read the, the Miriam Black books, uh, a similar character, I would say, probably could be from the same realm. Let's go that yeah. route. Yeah. So, um, and there's another mention that I'm going to mention. And I, God, it was just, there's so many good things about this book. There's so many of those things I'm not going to talk about as part of the actual review. <laughs> but there's um, a little throwaway line at uh and this is pretty late in the book but one of the characters is the the mortician slash funeral home director yeah um because he's one of the first people to be a little suspicious of of dwight and his uh you know of this whole thing with carol dying but later on someone says oh they saw something out there they thought it might be ghouls and the line says manders is his name robert manders the line says manders had been hit by ghouls before and that just tells you a lot like that that he has had to deal with some kind of supernatural shit previously which makes it the the way the line is just so quickly done it almost is like it's a normal thing like he's been hit by ghouls before like not a big you know there was this one other time where maybe this thing happened and there were ghosts or something just kind of like a meh it's happened to him before i'm going to challenge that and and you can you can turn me around on this but um I took the I took the word ghoul as being like a slang word for a gravedigger. Like that's what they called gravediggers. Did they really call gravediggers ghouls? That's what I'm now here's the thing. Historically, I don't know if they did or not, but uh that's that's how I took it. So I didn't take it as the awesome <laughs> awesome thing you did because I thought they were just call, that's what they called gravediggers. Gravedigger slang. I'm looking it up now because now I'm going to feel bad if I just told right. I'm I'm reading I'm reading the passage leading up to that, so we may have to do a little bit of light editing here. You know who would be great uh, for for giving us an answer on this would be um, someone we haven't talked to in a long time, Joshua Allen Deach. I'm sure we could just text him right now and be like, "Hey, was Ghoul ever used as a slang for gravedigger?" And he would immediately have an answer for us. I am going to stick by my original. Um, story and if you two paragraphs before that statement, uh, Mander suggests that you know could have been someone prowling around, and then but then the next pass says, but Hank was a bit more shaken, said he'd heard something fuddling beneath the dirt he was digging, which would lead me to believe oh, that. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's probably not a grave digger. And I'm not reading. There's like two more paragraphs in in you know in this passage, but I, I do think that 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 may have been may have been a little more um i was gonna say ghoulish ghoulish but ghoulish would not i guess could go either way depending on which side of this argument you're on so yeah but a little more supernatural huh i'm gonna all right so now i want to dig into this um you're on ghoulsgonewild.com 
God damn it, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, all right, so I'm on definitions.net. And if that's not, um, you know, if that's not reputable, I don't know what is, but <laughs> definitions for ghoul. Um, and one of the options is gravedigger, ghoul, body snatcher. So now I kind of want to look for body snatcher. I don't want to steal your thunder on this because I think that I think that you know you're onto something good, um, but I feel like that there might be some etymology that helps us out here. If only there was a way to. But I remember the last time I asked Mallerman a direct question about his story, I got a real evasive answer because I'm tempted <laughs> to just say we should just message Mallerman. Well, you know what? We'll leave, we'll leave it. I don't have enough concrete evidence to 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 prove you wrong. So I, I guess we're going to have to leave it at your interpretation for now. Uh, so outside of the supernatural things that we kind of alluded to and, and discussed a little bit, debated a little bit, um, the trail, the trail plays a very important role in this book. And not only is it James Moxie's way to get from the town he's in uh, to the town where Carol is, which apparently are the two farthest towns apart. Moxie set up shop about as far away as he could. Um, but the trail is a way of life. And that is where all the outlaws kind of hang out. So uh, anything that was like a defining characteristic of Moxie, or we haven't talked about Smoke yet, but Smoke's another important character. They, they've all been defined by their time on the trail did you get that feeling that the trail was like even though it wasn't a setting specific setting like that it was a major player in in the whole book yeah yeah um so and i'm gonna actually i'm gonna deviate to the fact that and we haven't pointed this out yet this doesn't happen too often it probably happens in like hardy boys books and stuff like that but at the beginning of the book there is an actual map I don't know if you saw that on the ebook. Did you have it in the ebook? Oh, I did. But you know what? Ebooks a lot of times will open right to the first page. Yeah. So I don't think I saw that. I'm going to go look now. Yeah. So there's a map of um, of essentially the area that the trail exists on, and it you know goes from Harrow's, which is where uh, Carol lives, and where you know a lot of the Carol story takes place, and it travels through many towns through Macatoon which is far, far south of where um, Harrow's is. And Makatoon is where James Moxie has been living uh, since he became infamous on the trail. But um, so there's like, it seems like, to, to kind of Livius's point, that there's town life where you are kind of a respectable, normal citizen, or there's trail life. And trail life is, is hard and dangerous and uncertain. And, and when you're on the trail, things can get weird can get bad and living on the trail means you're probably more assuming the life of an outlaw and the trail is basically the main road that connects all like the probably 10 different towns or so that are in this book so um yeah trail life is definitely uh like livia said something that defines if you're if you're living on the trail you're living like a harder more dangerous life more of an outlaw life for sure, and I really liked uh, that particular element of uh, of the story. I mentioned smoke, so we should probably talk a little bit about smoke. Um, Dwight uh, finds out where he intercepts the telegram where Moxie says, "I'm on my way. She's not dead. Don't bury her. I'm on my way." So he has to uh, 
he this is something he did not anticipate happening. So him and Lafayette uh, hatch a plan where they are going to hire um, a, a bad man, uh, another outlaw who's uh, hired essentially to kill people. And his name is Smoke. Smoke is a super interesting character in that this is a Western. So you would expect everybody to be uh, six gunning it. Yeah. Um, not Smoke. Smoke is a paraplegic <laughs> who, who has 10 legs. Um, but he's also a little bit of a, a pyromaniac. And that he lives his life for it. So he has a uh, a device that he has concocted where his legs are filled with oil, and he has little uh, little strings that that open um, you know little little doors in his in his heels and will let out oil. And he sets uh, a number of people on fire in this book. So it's it's not just uh, him going after Moxie. Anybody who gets in his way, or even when he just gets a hankering for it, he kills somebody by fire. Totally the biggest body count in the book. Um, and the most unhinged, I would say, overall. Like, people become unhinged in different points of the story, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's Smoke is definitely... Oh, this guy doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so... Um, super interesting character. We haven't really talked much about James Moxie. So, um, James Moxie uh, is... is probably one of them you know he's probably the second biggest character in the book is he's the one that is racing to save carol backstory on him him and carol 20 years ago were lovers and like livius mentioned previously he couldn't handle i think that overall and i don't think this is spoiling anything he couldn't handle the emotional trauma of watching his lover die basically over and over again that's kind of how i interpreted it um but he he left, and after he left, became infamous infamous as an outlaw on the trail, um, and he became infamous for a very specific when he was he was an unknown person. There was a shootout in which um, the <laughs> the legend around it is that he killed the person that he was you know he was squaring off against um, without ever drawing his gun. So there was like the draw moment and a shot fired and his opponent was killed. Uh, but Moxie never pulled his gun from its holster. And so he became infamous and, and like a very well-known and seriously feared outlaw for the fact that he killed people without even pulling his weapon. Yeah. And the, the, the great thing about this in true in true to today fashion, you immediately you know, had two factions throughout the course of the book. The people that believe that Moxie could do magic. Yep. And the people that were constantly essentially calling him a fraud. So anytime <laughs> his name came up, somebody voiced their opinion uh, on the on the incident um, that Rob just described. And I thought that was very, very true to form. That, you yeah. know, if his name came up, someone had to either be like, that guy knows magic or they're like, that guy is full of shit. There was a yeah, second that guy's shooter. a fraud. <laughs> yeah, there was a, the in the grassy knoll. There was a second shooter kind of, you know, theories. Yeah. So it was uh, uh, very interesting. But yeah, so he's um, legendary for that. But he has given up the trail and he doesn't think of himself as legendary as everybody else does. He's just a guy who is trying to get by. Yeah. So he's he's a he's a he's an inch for an outlaw. He's like he's like a good guy outlaw. That makes sense. Like he's yeah, not, definitely not yeah. a man of like ill intent ever. Mm-hmm. It seems like we're never given the impression that he was 
like him and his partner, um, Jefferson, who is mentioned throughout the book a few times, um, when they were on the trail, they did criminal things like, you know, stealing and stuff like that, but never like intentionally harming people. It doesn't seem like that. Like it's built like his legend is more um, mischievous than evil. While we're on the the trail and uh, and outlaws and stuff, I do because I thought this was great. There's a line in here that says the trail was trashed with tales of the underlaw, the overlaw, the beyond the law, <laughs> which I thought was just just great. Because <laughs> oddly enough, you know what the opposite of an outlaw is, right? Like in, in like the structure of words, <laughs> it's an in law. It's an in law, which never made any sense to me. I've thought about this before, but introducing the other laws, the overlaw, the underlaw, and the beyond the law, although there's no definition for them in the book, I thought was just uh, a great and another kind of indicator that this doesn't take place in our history, right? Which I mean, if, if we're gonna, I, I want to pause and say that that seems very Mallerman. So, like, reading his other stuff, like, it's not that things aren't always... It actually, he's very grounded in history almost in everything that we've read. You know, Black Mad Wheel was, um, you know, takes place in Africa, but it was very, like, post-World War II, right? Um, mm-hmm. Bird Box is in a post-apocalyptic future, but very grounded in something that happens in, in Earth and, and and with specific mention of towns and cities and things, so... But, like, for some reason, it just feels right that he would just kind of have this on its own little floating continent out in space somewhere that doesn't have any connection to the to the world. Correct. Yeah. There's one more thing, but I want to talk about it in spoiler talk. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to yeah. do that. Either. So, um, I mean, to kind of to kind of tie this all together, um, the story, I feel like, is very straightforward. Like, Carol's got this condition. She, she you know, nobody knows about it. She's looking at a very grim future of being buried alive. And the only one that can save her is the person who walked out on her 20 years ago. And so the setup is the setup and the premise are pretty straightforward. It's how Mallerman kind of like, you know, fills in the gaps and decorates the thing that makes it the fucking awesome story that it is. And, um, I would have to say that without spoiling anything, the ending is, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, I felt like I didn't see it coming. But um, the ending is very, very entertaining. Like so, um, that's pretty much what we're looking at, right? Um, yes. I want to talk about the title, and then we're going to go to spoiler <laughs> talk. So, <laughs> unburied Carol would imply <laughs> would just imply that Carol's buried, probably through a good portion of this book, right now. Um, you know, without giving anything away, I think that just our description, even the synopsis kind of tells you, you know, hey, she's awake and waiting to be buried. This guy's on her way. So I don't think it takes a, a brain surgeon or a scientist to figure out that that whatever happens, happens in that last 10 percent of the book. Right. Um, but I guess in theory, you know, I mean, we could use unbury in a different term, right? Like just her trying to get out of the coma. So, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Unburied Carol is not as deceptive as I mean, in if this you're, kind of it, you're if you're taking a very liberal interpretation of of the title, yeah. yeah. But like, I was expecting someone to be in a grave. Yeah, I was expecting this to start with someone being dug up. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, early on in the book. So I, I just wanted to address that because I I was under that impression from the title, and I don't think that that you know I don't I'm not taking anything away from the book because that's not what happened, but. 
that's kind of what was my my expectation. I am ready to go over to spoiler talk. Are you? Absolutely. So uh, for we do this every time, and I, I like the pa- I've, I've grown to love the pageantry around going over to spoiler talk and coming back from spoiler talk, even though it's stupid. We don't have to. I, I just love it. But I will say that anybody's listening to this right now who is not contributing to our Patreon. Um, the limited, the the minimum dollar a month gets you access to all of our spoiler talk for all of the spoiler talk we've ever done, which has been, I think we've been on Patreon for like what, three or four years now. And we've been doing spoiler talk for at least a year and a half, maybe more. Yeah. So there's a lot of reviews that we've, we've, we've kind of expanded our conversation on. So dollar a month, sign up, get yourself some, some spoiler talk and learn, um, either join us for the conversation that you want to hear. Um, because you've also read the book and you want to hear the stuff that we don't want to spoil, or if you don't care whether the book is spoiled for you or not, just hear our, conver- our you know our thoughts about the stuff we don't want to spoil. Because there's often like it's a treasure trove of information that's just like that's where the conversation becomes alive. So um, I'd say it's very beneficial to uh, to join up with our Patreon and, and check that out too. I'm not trying to clickbait this, but I'm literally going to talk about like my three favorite things in this book, and they're all going to be in spoiler talk. Oh. I can't believe how he reacted. So, uh, yeah, exactly. You <laughs> won't believe what he said about this book. <laughs> um, so, although it's only a moment for you, um, we'll be back in a few from uh, from our spoiler talk. All right. Uh, we are. It's just been a matter of seconds for you. But Livius and I, I'm going to tell you, and we probably say this every time, but, like, I'm going to tell you now. This is the even, – even just sign up for – give us a dollar – Download all of because you can download all of our you know our spoiler talks and then just like you just give us a dollar for a month. It's worth it because like the spoiler talk that we just went through, um, it is is amazing and it's great and it and it and it will definitely help you figure out why we're about to do the the wrap ups that Livius is going to get us started with. I have really liked um, and in some cases truly loved um, everything I've written uh, written everything I've read from Josh Mallerman. And this book is no different. Um, it, it's interesting because Rob and I came to the same conclusions over in Spoiler Talk um, for the things we liked um, better than other things. There wasn't anything I really disliked, but there were some things that I really um, liked a, a lot. And I don't want to talk about them here because I think people should kind of discover them on their own as they're reading the, the book. Um, I will say, I mentioned in Spoiler Talk, that although I like the way Mallerman writes relationships, the the house, what was it called? The house in the lake? No, the house. Beneath, house at the uh, bottom of the lake. House at the bottom of the lake. Great relationship stuff there. I remember talking about that. But there is a scene in this book that really made me think that although I love the weird stuff Mallerman does, Mallerman can go just go write your straight literary um, novel that's about relationships between people without any hokey, weird, supernatural stuff. And he would do very, very well. So even taking the the kind of weird, crazy story, the weird Western out of it, um, th- this guy could write. And he understands people. There's a, there's a quote I want to do um, that also made me think that he really understands uh, people. So give me a second here to find it. The quote is, uh, because it had to be, because only husbands and wives could be so cruel. And there's some insight there um, that I don't think a lot of people... Um, have or that they don't um, can't like like I can't communicate this in words to you right now. They can't communicate in their writing. Um, so I, I I just love reading uh, Mallerman's stuff. There are some 
tangential. I'm going to go tangential characters um, in this novel that are just phenomenal. And I, I definitely think even if Westerns aren't your thing or you think you don't like Westerns, you should probably give Unburied Carol a shot. I'm going to give it five stars. They would have been six, except for all the bullshit we talked about Delray earlier. Just in case anybody from Delray's listening. A review copy, a review copy would have broken our five star rating system. It could have. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, I, I think that I've given Mallerman everything, uh, everything that we've read so far, five five star rating, and I'm just going to upfront say this is a five star book as well. Um, reading the book, I enjoyed it, and I was very satisfied with it. Talking about the book afterward made me just fucking ecstatic about this book because Livius and I kind of explored together um, some of the things that made the book really solid um, and some of the things that made it very unique and, and the strengths and weaknesses of it. And especially in spoiler talk again, I'm going to make a plug, go, go just listen to the spoiler talk. Um, there's so many positive things about this book. And, and, and I mentioned it early on the first act, the first third of this book um was a little bit slow for me and it was mostly because um it was world building because this is definitely outside of our normal you know where you would imagine a western in tombstone arizona or whatever um so that was a little slow but the moment we got into the second act and all of like the the kind of foundation was built and now we were into what's being done about it the book flew by and i cannot remember well enough to name all the awesome things that happened in this book but um i agree with everything livia said and 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 um uh there's just these little moments and and the way that that he allowed the story to unfold and some of the things that he focused on and kind of unique approaches 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 to some of the storytelling made this amazing um this wasn't necessarily a love story and usually we we get a book and we're like, oh, it was this and this, but really it was a love story. And I want to say that, like, with this book, it was like, oh, it's a love story, but really it's this and this and this. So it's kind of the opposite. And the love story matters, but not... It's not the ultimate story. It's the story about people and their struggles and and people and their relationships and, and the way that we react to the hard situations that we're presented with. And that is the strength of the book. And the storytelling is just rock solid, and I can't be more positive about this book. I already told you it's five stars. Not at all surprising. You know, the only thing that we're lacking from the Josh Mallerman catalog is Goblin. Goblin. Yeah, that short story collection. Yeah. Yeah. Got to Man. do something about that. No one's putting that in the mailbox and sending it to yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Hey, maybe we have an adoring fan. Who wants to just send us copies of Goblin? You never know. Um, really glad we uh, we did this book. Like I said, this uh, last week and this week are my uh, two of the three books I was most looking forward to um, this year. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, and this one fucking delivered huge. Mm-hmm. I want to touch on one other thing before we go, um, which is a good segue from Josh Mallerman. Because something, there was a first. There was a first for the booked team. <laughs> <laughs> and probably, I mean, at least I can say for me, a first personally, I don't know about Rob. <clears throat> it's a first for me as well. Yeah, so here's here's how this unfolded. I am not good at uh, social media. Um, astute listeners may have noticed that people have messaged me <laughs> for things or sent me friend requests, and, and I, I, I very rarely look at them. 
But I woke up one morning to a notification. I looked and there were like 15 other people tagged. And I was like, I'm not, I don't even know who this person is. The name looks kind of familiar, whatever. But this is like, you know, like 5.30 in the morning when I'm getting up to go to work. So I, I kind of put it aside. Rob messages me several hours later and says something to the effect of, I don't know what's going on, but we were immortalized in a song. <laughs> so I go, oh, this must be this thing from earlier today. So I go, I go back and, you know, through, through a course of some text messages and figuring out exactly what to do and where to go. Right. I, I get to listen to this song in which Rob and I, our, our names are not, not read. They're, they're essentially sung, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, we are yeah. sung. We are sung alongside <laughs> um, a lot of people that we know and, and some people I'm not familiar with, but uh, we were immortalized. Now here's the problem. This guy managed to say our names Pretty good, I thought, right? I'd, I'd give him uh, like four and a half stars on the pronunciation of our names. Yeah, we're about and to we're butcher his. To be able to do that. So, um, Mans Weislander, who is, uh, I'm going to assume, a Swedish fella, as that's where he lives, um, is a musician, a prolific musician with, with many albums out. Um, and he wrote a song called Baron to We Hunt. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what, what any of that means. Um, but I have to say that uh, that I am uh, I am flattered and uh, and super excited to say that that we were uh, we were sung into a song. <laughs> so we're going to this is this conversation will evolve. But I want to start by saying that, like the reaction to the song being posted, because when uh, he, when he posted it on Facebook, he tagged a bunch of people. And so, you know, people were obviously flattered and, and, and responding um, uh, to the post. And um, it, a, a pattern emerged where, where several people had said um, being in the weird fiction genre is, is where they got involved in being mentioned in the song. So I'm thinking that weird fiction was the focus of this song. Mm-hmm. Looking at the list of names that tracks, but like a lot of the names also kind of bleed into other, other genres as well. Slipstream and Neo. I'm just fucking kidding. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there's that. There's there's that. So if you're if you're into the weird fiction thing, and you, you'd probably recognize names on that list. But um, did I ever tell you what, what one of my nicknames at work is? Yes, Hollywood. Yeah, but did yep. I tell you Hollywood was one of my yeah. names? Yep. So. Yep. Um, <laughs> I got to I got to flex the Hollywood muscles. So like, there's a, there's a, one specifically one person that I work with that calls me Hollywood, and it's because like I always have these like, you know, kind of larger than lives things happening, um, happening to me, and and it's not that I brag about them, but they come up in conversations, so I talk about them. But like whenever this dude's around, I'm like, oh, what's the most Hollywood thing that's happened to me lately? So I got to tell him. Oh, by the way, I got a new one for you. I'm immortalized in song, and then I got to like kind of tell them the the story <laughs> and play. So anybody who's listening, who wants to listen to that song, a I recommend listening to the entire song, and then also you know the entire album. It's called Trunk Novel. I know it's on Spotify. It's also on Apple Music. It is available on the major platforms. Yeah, Google, Google Play Music. Um, and um, it's I don't I don't even know what it is it's it's, it's like kind of like electronica right I mean I'm not good with with music genres so it's kind of yeah it's kind of more of a modern it's almost got like a prog rock slash but it's more like techno I don't even know where to put it like like if you were yeah 
I, I don't know where to put it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's 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 um it's it's got a very modern kind of sound to it. Um, like if Modest Mouse hung out with like a bunch of people in Sweden, I think that's where it would where uh, it land. I, but but if you're I, listening to this song, I sent Livius the timestamps. <laughs> Yes. And we're at like the six minute, it's like a seven and a half minute song. We're at like six minutes and 18 seconds or between like six minutes and 18 to 22 seconds or something like that. You can hear Livia's Ned and Robertson. Yeah. You didn't do it anywhere near as good as he did. I listened <laughs> to that full album and I listened to one other album. And, and I can tell you that there are times in my life where I will put this on, not because not to hear my name song. Um, <laughs> but uh, because I think that there is a there, there's a time in my life for listening to stuff like that. Now, I, I would if there was instrumental and I haven't looked to see it like the instrumental, if there's instrumental versions of his music, I would I would listen to that while I'm reading. Yeah, um, I can't listen to anything with words while I'm reading, especially when you know they're calling out names and shit. Right. So um, <laughs> I, I do want to say I'm not really sure in what world it's OK that Michael David Wilson his name was sung before us. <laughs> he was saving the best lit names for the end of the list, obviously. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Because I was like, well, it's not alphabetical. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to think of, of reasons why, why, why that would happen. Hey, but uh, maybe he was going on the globe. He was tra- he was going around. You know what I'm saying? It could be. So that could since be he's too. from Sweden, uh, the UK, London is closer. Than the United States. That's why he came up first. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's it. Uh, uh, but we do want to say um, I want to reach out personally and, and thank him. I just have to put together a, a, a message, which you know when I have to message someone, how long that can take. Um, but uh, <laughs> Mans, for saying right, Mans, um, thank you so much, and um, we're we're going to be reaching out to, to to say thank you on a, on a more personal uh, note too. I want to say, uh, and obviously I didn't recognize every name that he listed. I don't know if there were uh besides Michael David Wilson who who is is a writer I I don't know if there were any people who were just podcasters besides us. I don't see anything. Well, I mean there's yeah. Bob Pastorella, but he's a writer too. Yeah, yeah. We're we I I think that we I think that <laughs> I'm just trying to make us sound cooler. That's all I'm trying to no, do. No, no. I yeah, I yeah. <laughs> Um, that was I'm awesome. I'm looking at like, the list now, so yeah, that's yeah, I, I, yeah. It was, it was because like we live in a world now, and th- and this is something. Seven years ago, when the podcast didn't exist, these things didn't happen. But we live in a world now where you'll wake up one day and the world tells you someone is singing about you. Like that's yeah, it's so that's where, <laughs> that's where we are now. It's I so just, bizarre. So I went, I went on my own and listened, right? Like I was at work. So I, 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 you know, stole away to my, my secret vaping spot. And, uh, and then as, as I was coming back, you know, into work, essentially, I just, someone said, you okay. And I was like, huh, that doesn't happen every day. Like that was, <laughs> like, like, I was like, oh, huh. so, um, yeah. but yeah, super, yeah. super cool. I made, um, an oodles of people listen to it and I'm going to make a suggestion. Um, I think that if you are a paid Spotify listener, subscriber, even if you're not, if you use Google Play or whatever, um, just tonight, put it on, um, put on the entire playlist, however you select it uh, by artist or, or whatever on your thing, and turn the volume down on your iPad or your iPhone, and uh, let's see if we can get this guy some uh, some some cash because that's how those services play. So I'm going to do that tonight. 
um, and and get him some uh, some downloads and listened on the on the Google Play app. I suggest everybody else do the same thing. I like it, and I don't know if early adoption has any kind of effect on on you know overall charting or whatever. But like this dropped recently within the last week, so I'd have to imagine that like the more listening this person sees in the beginning, typically like you know even if it's not an actual monetary gain, it helps that person realize that like their music is appreciated and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, help this person out because it's so cool. Like I said, we know it's on Spotify and we know it's on Apple music. So if you're on either of those platforms, listen to the shit out of that. Like just keep listening to Robotion over and over again. Yeah. And like I said, just when you go to sleep, do it and turn it, turn down your volume. So you don't, you don't hear it and you can sleep and then all the songs will get plays through. That sounds a little, tri- that sounds a little tricksy. Yeah, it is. I read about a band doing that and then they got, I don't know, they got kicked off of Spotify, but they had like 20,000 people all do that. Um, yeah. Like over a period of a couple of weeks and they scored like 28 grand or something ridiculous like that. Mm. And someone at Spotify was like, that's weird. The algorithms, they're like, people listen to this a lot between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m. And it's like nonstop listening. <laughs> like, That's what they, they needed to get their first was, yeah. shift, second shift, and third shift listeners to all, like, work right. together. Yeah. So there, there was no discernible pattern. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, that's all I've got for this week. I don't, I think we might be interluding next week. We haven't really talked about it, but like I said, by the time you get this, you guys are going to get like three episodes in a row. So maybe a third book review is not in the, in the makings um, for this next one. I've got, I've got one thing I want to tell a little story. And I told Livy this before we get on the, the podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning because this is something that doesn't happen. And, and it, it's funny, the timing of it, because when um, one of our recent episodes was where we went and, um, we went looking for ghosts, right? So a little, a little supernatural, unexplained mm-hmm. phenomena kind of thing. So I'm going to kind of, I'm going to theme off of that to say that <laughs> I finished reading Unbury Carol last night. And um, since it was a physical book, not in a, a NetGalley digital, the digital version that was given to us, um, I had to put it on my shelf, and I've got, like, my other Mallerman books, and I wanted to put it next to the, my other Mallerman books, and I had to kind of shuffle around the books that were next to it so that they would fit. And I pull a book off the shelf, and I'm looking, and I'm like, huh, that's weird. I, I don't remember ever getting this other book that was, like, next to the book I pulled off the shelf. And um, it was The Cabin at the End of the World, and it's an advanced reader edition of, of that book by Paul Tremblay. And... um and I'm like, I never, I know, I know it wasn't sent to me and I know it wasn't given to me, but it's on my bookshelf. <laughs> and this is like, it's like two in the morning and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And it was very confusing. And, um, and, and, the, and one of the conspicuous things is like, it was shelved away from the other Paul Tremblay books. So I know I didn't put it there and, and, you know, had like a lapse of memory or something. Somebody was fiddling with my bookshelf. And then I remembered, oh, Jesse and Missy had visited a couple weeks ago and, you know, they stayed at my place and everything and I tied it together. Uh, I decided it was Jesse. So I texted and I said, hey, Jesse, did you you sneak a book onto my shelf? And he said, yes. So thank you, Jesse, for in a very cute way giving me an advanced reader copy of The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. (laughs) Thank you, Jesse, for doing what major book publishers are unable to do. (laughs) 
What a cool thing to do, though. What a what a what That's a very cool. what yeah. a cute what a cute thing to do. Yeah, Jesse is uh, definitely one of the most thoughtful people I know. He's far oh more God. thoughtful than either of the pig shitters on this podcast. Right, we're pig shitters. We don't, you know, you see those like little meme posts and stuff, and it's like we don't deserve dogs because they're so cute or whatever. I don't deserve Jesse. I agree that you don't deserve Jesse. I <laughs> just, just wanted to say I Thanks. might deserve I Jesse that. a little bit. You not so you, much. You deserve Jesse. Yeah. I I don't, and I'm I'm constantly. I feel like I'm like paying penance. But you, um, but you have them all the same, which is good. Um, which which leads <laughs> me to another conversation. We we had a, a brief text conversation, and Earth Day has come and gone. Right, Earth Day's over. Earth Day is done. It was the twenty second. Okay. Yeah, I didn't pay any attention. Um, I get that one and, and the pot day confused. Why aren't they just the same day? Um, wait, yeah, Oak is four twenty. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I yeah. They should just move Earth Day to the other hippie holiday. I think Earth Day is like um, is it on the same date or is it one of those that's like the last whatever of the year or, or of the I, month? I have no idea. I whatever. Anyway. Um, I'm oh, sorry I didn't get your card for Earth Day. Well, yeah. yeah, we were talking about what our next holiday episode is going to be. I have to imagine at this point it's got to be the 4th of July, right? Yeah, unless we do late May Memorial Day. We haven't done that one before. You want to talk about we can like, do Memorial dead Day. soldiers and Mother's Day. I thought about Mother's Day, and I thought that's kind of lame. <gasps> what if we did Father's Day? Yeah, well, now listen, and not on a podcast <laughs> with you. So... <laughs> Nobody wants to hear me talk about the box of ashes. Yeah, no, no, nobody wants to hear that. So um, maybe we'll we'll do a Memorial Day, but I'm looking forward to getting those guys back on for another yeah. rollicking good YouTube uh, live, oh, Facebook yeah. live, whatever. Yeah, kind and of. We can, uh, we can test out our um, Facebook live thing. Yeah, or we could. Yeah. maybe we'll have that solidified. Yes, I think so. I you're, hope so. You're trying to wrap up the episode. No, no, I can we tell. Can, I've got, I can I've got tell. nothing else going on. No, it's okay. We can keep talking. I mean, we're at like an hour and a half, but we can keep going. <laughs> so I think that's right. Um, uh, we could try. Well, Memorial Day is the end of May, so it gives us about a month. Or Fourth of July, we've done though. So like, and there's not a lot to talk about, like patriotism and stuff. Mother's Misty, Day. Misty and I have to handle all the patriotic stuff on this yeah. podcast. So me and Jesse are communists. Yeah, um, uh, Memorial Day. Let's do Memorial Day. So we're going to try to solidify that with our uh, our permanent co-hosts for holiday episodes, Jesse and Misty. And uh, I was thinking, yeah, that disappearance at, at I'm sorry, uh, that um, cabin at the, at the end of the end world. Of the world. Yeah. That's not till the end of June. So we've got right. a long way to go on that one. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about this mysterious book that appeared. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we got some cool stuff coming up. Summer's going to be nice. I'm I'm going to try and push to not do a lazy summer of podcasting. Oh, I don't think you'll have to push too hard. Busy summer of podcasting. Yeah, we can do that. And um, yeah, I I I'm I love it. I love it. So I just know that the next book we review coming off of that great Christopher Moore book, and then this this fantastic Joshua. Look <laughs> like I'm like I don't want to read a book this week because whatever we read is going to be crap. So uh, you don't want to do miscalculations of Lightning Girl? No, no. But they did email us to tell us they were sending us that, so I'll give them credit for that. It didn't just show up like weird on its own. Um, yeah, no. So we're gonna interlude next week, and then we will have a book review for you the following week. So um, thanks for your patience and waiting for these episodes to uh, make their appearance on our new podcasting platform, Podbean. Um, and as always, just thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, thanks for making this podcast possible.
Absolutely. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Join us again next week for an interlude and then some awesome stuff following. Until then, I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Keep reading, pig shitter.